Luke chapter number 1, verse number 26, the Word of God says this, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. I pray that the word of God would have free course tonight. Lord, that the Spirit of God would have liberty to walk amongst these pews, amongst these hearts. And that, Lord, you would just be able to uh, gain greater ground in our lives, in our minds, in our, our, uh, our uh, behavior this evening. That, Father, we'd walk away from here more committed to you than we've ever been before. Lord, we believe it's possible with you, for with you nothing's impossible. We ask it in faith, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm interested in what Mary says in verse number 38. Now, we're going to preach all through this passage. But I want you to notice Mary's ultimate response to this remarkable, astounding annunciation by the angel Gabriel. After she hears everything, takes everything in, she says uh, in verse 38, Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. You know, I, I was uh, talking a little bit about this passage the other night at a Christmas banquet that I preached at. And I, 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 when I read this passage, when I think about the Christmas season, we were riding in the car the other day with my little boy, and uh, he asked us a question. He said, do you know what Christmas is all about? Of course, we knew, but we wanted to find out what he was going to say. We said, no, son, what's it all about? And he said this, it's about giving. We corrected him, of course, that's not what Christmas is about. Christmas is about the Lord Jesus, Amen. But certainly, the idea of giving is something that is prevalent during the Christmas season. Uh, all we'd have to do is look at your credit card bill here in about a month, and we'd find out just how prevalent giving is during the Christmas season. Uh, we buy all sorts of gifts for people that we love, people that we care about. Sometimes we buy them for people we don't. But we buy all these gifts and give them. About the only person that makes any money off of it is the consumers, the people that build the electronics and the toys. Somebody say amen to that. And people that that make chocolate oranges, they make a bunch of money. But we, <laughs> Linda said, ooh, ooh. <laughs> you ain't never had them chocolate oranges? Oh, you ain't missing nothing, amen. No, you better not. They're about a notch above peeps, all right? So, the Christmas season is occupied a lot with the idea of giving. I don't think giving's a bad thing. 
The Bible says that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Certainly, as you get a little bit older and once you have kids, you really understand what that's like. You don't really care nothing about getting gifts yourself, but you're excited to watch them open the gifts and see them get excited over it. And when you have people you love, you enjoy getting them things and watching them uh, receive those gifts. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Giving is a good thing. I recommend it to you. I think the greatest way we can give is to give to the Lord. Amen? And don't get nervous. I ain't preaching on tithing tonight. But certainly, I think that it'd be a shame if we gave to everybody else during the Christmas season, didn't give to the Lord anything. My pastor growing up used to have a practice. They'd do a giving campaign around Christmas season. Uh, and this was sort of the premise of it. And he always diligently followed this. He, he participated personally himself. But the goal behind it was for the largest gift you gave anybody, you give to the Lord Jesus. So in other words, whatever the most money was you spent giving somebody else a gift, you gave more than that to the work of God. He said, uh, wouldn't it be a shame for you to go to a birthday party, your own birthday party, everybody get gifts but you, amen? And his thinking behind that was certainly that the Lord ought to always have the most and the best out of our lives. And I, I think this, that if you'll do that in your life, you won't regret it. You'll always put God first and always give God most. You'll always come out ahead in life. But I think what Mary does here is even more important, more profound, and more remarkable than simply the idea of giving to others or even simply the idea of giving to the Lord. She hears this entire annunciation by the angel. She takes in everything that it's going to mean. And she has nothing. She's poor in and of herself. There's nothing she can give. But what the Lord has asked for is not for that which Mary has, but the Lord has asked for Mary herself for her to invest her time and her energy and her aspirations and to yield them to the work and plan of God. And at the end of all of it, Mary says, Here I am, Lord. I'm yours. Be it unto me according to thy word. And I think the greatest thing you could do this Christmas season, the greatest gift you could give, would not be a gift that you give somebody else. It wouldn't even be just any gift that you give to the Lord. And I hope you do give to the Lord, especially this Christmas season. But the greatest gift that you could give this year is to give yourself completely, a thousand percent, to the Lord Jesus Christ, to His will, and to His Word, and to His work. I find in Mary's statement, and throughout the entire context of the passage, three areas of her her life that she gave to the Lord that evening. I want to give them to you very quickly this evening. Uh, Number one, I want to say that she gave her ears to God's message. Look back at verse 26. The Bible says, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Think with me for just a moment about the context of this message. What does the Bible say to us about Mary's condition? The Bible says she was in Nazareth, a city of Galilee, that she was a virgin, that she was a spouse to a man named Joseph, uh, and that that Joseph was of the house of David. You know, when you think about Mary's situation here, we have sort of the prism of 2,000 years of Christianity through which we interpret everything in the Word of God. What I mean to say by that is this. We've read the end of the story. We know what's going to happen. 
We know that this is legitimate. We know that she is indeed going to bear the Christ child, the Son of God. We know that she will go down throughout history as a virtuous woman. There are some today that worship her in a misguided, mistaken, and dangerous and destructive manner. But certainly Mary is a name that is associated with virtue and with righteousness and with purity. You and I, we know the end of the story. But imagine for a moment that you're Mary and that you're sitting there and your, your course is plotted. Your life is planned. Everything is settled. And then all of a sudden, here comes the Word of God crashing into your life in the most disruptive manner possible. Think with me for a moment about the peace that she had. She had her entire life mapped out. She was a spouse to a man that she loved. Evidently, Joseph was a man. He was not a wealthy man, but he was a man that had a trade. She had every reason to believe they'd be able to live out the rest of their days in peace and quietude, that they'd be able to raise a family, that they would fly under the radar. I'll tell you this, anybody that has any uh, bit of notoriety will tell you it ain't all it's cracked up to be. I'm sure there were times throughout Mary's life that it was hard to be the mother of Jesus Christ. And at this stage in her life, there is peace. There is what we might call status quo. But you know, the Word of God loathes status quo. And the will of God loathes status quo. I promise you this. You'll open your heart and mind to the truth of the Word of God. Sometimes God will come crashing into your life, jerk the rug out from under you, and bring things into your life that you would have never asked for or never even thought of. Listen, it's easy to listen to the Word of God when it's telling us things that comfort us and things that settle us and things that we want to hear. But what a gift it'd be if you'd give your ears to the truth of God's Word, even when it's telling you to move out of your comfort zone, to step out on faith, to do something you never planned on doing, to give things up that you never thought of getting rid of, to take on responsibilities that you never imagined would be yours. What about letting God's Word disrupt the peace or status quo of your life? She was a woman that had peace. She was a woman that had a plan. Uh, We know, again, that God's plan here did not actually disrupt Mary's plan. We know that God had providentially ordained that Joseph would, in fact, marry her, that they would go on to have a family, they'd go on to bear other children, despite what the papacy says. They did go on to bear and to have other children. We know that in many ways God's will did not disrupt her plan. But from where she's sitting, imagine the fear that struck her heart. We know that it was this close to Joseph putting her away privately. I don't know about you, but uh, if, if all of a sudden your wife winds up with child and you start asking questions and she says, I promise you, honey, I've not been doing anything untoward or anything mischievous. It's just the Holy Ghost came upon me and I'm going to bear the Son of God. You might be more spiritual than me, but I believe I'd have a hard time believing that. I believe I'd be saying, well, maybe, but then maybe not. Amen? Oh, yeah, you spiritual husbands. You'd be worse than I would. You'd have her hooked up to a lie detector test. It strains incredulity to imagine that what was so, was so. Joseph himself struggles with whether or not this could possibly be true. And I think that from where Mary's sitting, when the Word of God comes and approaches unto her and speaks unto her, she's asked to take that plan, that warm, comfortable plan, 
that her entire future is wrapped up in and lay it on the altar of God's promise and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you even when I don't know what trusting you will bring. She had a plan. She had a place. We know where this story winds up. It winds up in Bethlehem. But it doesn't begin there. We think of Bethlehem as being this wonderful, warm, uh, uh, maybe uh, Old Testament or or, or Biblical times Mayberry-esque scene, right? But Bethlehem wasn't home to Mary. Nazareth was home to Mary. That's where her family was, where her friends were. Sometimes the Word of God takes you places you never planned on going. Are you willing to open your ears to the truth of God's message, even when it's disruptive? for what your plans and peace and place in life are. I see the context of it. I notice the content of it in verse 28. The angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. How many of you know the Lord's smart? The Lord's smart enough to know that if He's going to speak to this young girl, and if He's going to unveil to her that her entire life is going to be changed, that she is in fact going to... The the Holy Ghost is going to move upon her and she's going to conceive the Son of God and bear the Son of God and raise Him and watch Him die a painful death. The Lord knows it's better to not open with that bit of information. Instead, what's the first thing that God says to Mary? Hail, thou that art highly favored. Mary, the Lord loves you. The Lord is with thee. Mary, the Lord's with you. Blessed art thou among women. Mary, the Lord has a plan for your life. One of the things that we need to remember when God's Word begins to tell us things that we're not comfortable with, that we don't like when the Spirit of God begins to guide and direct and move us in directions that we didn't look for or ask for, we need to be reminded of these same three things. Listen, I don't know what the future is going to hold for your life. But I know this. The Lord loves you. He loves you. He's not going. The will of God will never take you outside of the scope or purview of God's love. The height, the depth, the breadth, it's never been sounded. You'll never outrun God's love. He'll be with you. Let your conversation be without covetousness. For as much as it is written, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know what that means? Hey, live contented knowing God's with you all the time. And He has a plan for your life. He's got an expected plan, expected thoughts that He's thinking towards you. At the end of the day, we need to be reminded, whatever the particulars of God's message are, that the the spirit and intent with which it is given is the love and plan and mercy and graciousness and presence of God. So God opens with this truth. How does Mary respond? Verse 29. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. Now that's normal. I'm going to be honest with you. If you're not sometimes troubled by the preaching of God's Word, you probably ain't getting nothing out of it. If you can read your Bible and not sometimes be troubled by it, then you're probably not listening to it. You're probably not taking it seriously enough. Of course she was troubled. She didn't know what any of this meant. But notice what it says. The Bible says she cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. She cast it in her mind. You know what some of us do when God begins to speak to us? 
we cast it out of our mind. That's not what Mary did. Mary cast it in her mind. What does that mean? It means she tossed it back and forth in her mind. She thought about what it could mean, what it could imply, what it could suggest, how it could apply to her life. In other words, she didn't run from the truth of God's Word. Listen, I, I, and I'm not a prophet, I'm not the son of a prophet, I'm barely a preacher. But I see it all the time. I'll be up here preaching, I can see on people's faces when the Spirit of God's dealing with them and dealing with them and dealing with them. Sometimes you'll see it visibly. You'll see people white-knuckled holding on to pews, and you'll see people shifting back and forth. Of course, they might just have to go to the bathroom. Somebody say amen to that. But you can see God dealing with people. Then the altar call comes, the piano plays, and they settle down in complacency into their pew. What happened? Well, for 30 or 35 or 40 minutes or however long it was, they cast it about in their mind. But then when the time of action came, they cast it out of their mind. And they said, I'm unwilling to go that far. At the end of the day, they would not yield their ears to God's message. Mary did. Let me give you a second thing tonight. Not only did she yield her ears to God's message, but she gave her energy to God's ministry. Now we get down to the brass tacks of the matter. Verse 30. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. I would imagine Mary's first response was, What? I'm going to do what? You're kidding me. And yet, God was enlisting Mary into a place uniquely carved throughout history into which she would fall, not only history but providence, and was enlisting her in the work and ministry and calling of God. You know, there's a work for each of us to do. We're not really, and we can't all serve God the same way. I understand that. I understand it better than most do. But there's not a single one of us that God saved us just so we'd sit and do nothing. Every one of us is called to serve the Lord. And there's a lot of us, listen now, that we've robbed God. We've robbed Him not of the tithes of our wallet, but of the tithes of our work. We're going... Well, I'll just go ahead and just preach right here. There's a lot of us free riding this thing. Free riding this thing. We want the benefits. You with me? We want the benefits. We want the church. We want the ministries. We want the work of God to go on. But we don't want to take up our place in it. Hey, listen, at the end of the day, paying your tithes ain't just about what's in your wallet. It's about your work your time, your energy, your effort. God didn't ask Mary to give a single thing, monetarily speaking. But in another sense, He asked Mary to give everything. Notice a few things. First off, she had to surrender her anxieties to the work of God. What's the first thing the angel says to her in this second portion? It says, fear not, Mary. Why? Because Mary was scared, obviously. She was afraid of what all this would mean. Listen, if you're going to live for the Lord and if you're going to serve God, there's going to be times that it's fearful, that it's scary when you have to step out in faith, when you ain't got nothing but the promise of God to hold on to. 
And in those times, if we're going to do the work of God, we've got to be willing to take those anxieties and put them squarely under the jurisdiction of Almighty God. We've got to be willing to let our faith overcome our fear. And listen, that doesn't mean that we won't fear. It doesn't mean we won't feel fear. But it does mean that we'll allow our faith to dictate our behavior instead of our fears. She had to surrender her anxieties. Look at verse 31. He says this, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. Now, I'm going to be delicate and I'm going to be tactful, but let me just say this. My wife, our little boy is, I don't know, he's what, like 12 months, 14 months old? Eight? All right. No, I knew that. He's eight months old. And uh, I, I watched my, my wife, of course, we, we had a miscarriage years ago. I watched her bear the short term of that pregnancy, watched her bear the totality, total length of the pregnancy with Lawrence. And uh, I don't know what went wrong there. I don't know what's the matter with him. But, uh, and then watched her bear the, the whole time with, with, uh, with little Bruce, little Schofield. Um, I've watched other women go through it. And uh, she's... Jessica's going to be giving me some amens here in a second. Mary had to surrender her activities to the work of God. I'll tell you this, and some of you women, if ever there's going to time, you're going to amen the preacher. It's going to be right now. You ready? It ain't no light thing to carry a child. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. You say, how do you know, preacher? Well, I ain't never done it, but I've sure had to be around it. I've borne the collateral damage of it. Some of you husbands say amen to that. It was a big deal what God was asking. This wasn't no small thing. By the way, you parents know this to be true. Listen, you may, you may carry him for nine months in your womb, but you carry him in your heart for the rest of your life. What God was asking Mary to do was a lifelong commitment. It was, we might say, the most intrusive thing that God could possibly ask. I don't know what the Lord's asked of you, but I'm pretty sure He ain't asked that. We complain because church happens three times a week. We complain because God wants 10% plus of our finances. We complain because God wants us to give out gospel tracts. We complain because God wants us to live separate and holy lives. Ain't none of us been asked to do what Mary was asked to do. Listen, I'm just telling you, if you're going to do the work of God, that's what it's going to take. This ain't no halfway in thing. And that's our problem is some of us were halfway in. We want a foot in the work of God and we want a foot in our own life. And then we wonder why it ain't getting done. We gotta be all in. We gotta be all in. Like Mary was. She had to surrender her activities. I was asking Jessica this morning, I said, how's things going? She went, Because eh. that's how it is when you get to that stage in it. That baby's due in like four or five minutes. And you get down to that stage in it, you just, you don't never feel good. <laughs> It's all you think about. It's all you do. It's all you can have time for. I'm saying this. Mary, to give herself to the Lord, meant surrendering her entire being to God. There ain't no no such thing as a part-time mama. And there ain't no such thing as a part-time Christian. If we're going to be the kind of Christian God wants us to be, it's going to take everything. It's going to take everything. 
as part of what's wrong with the church. And when I say the church, I mean the collective sense today. Yes, even Walridge Baptist Church. But I mean that's part of what's wrong with the church. We've got too many hobby Christians and part-time Christians and halfway in Christians. We're going to have to have the same kind of commitment Mary had. All in. She had to surrender her activities to the Lord. But then notice what the angel says about this Christ child that would be born. There's a lot of preaching we could do around this passage. But he says this in verse 32. He shall be great, shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now hold on a second. Back up just a little bit. I just heard that phrase, house of David. Verse 27. To a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And then down in verse number 33, it says, He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. You know what I find in this passage? I find a throne. I find a scepter. I find a crown. I find authority. She was giving birth to this child. For the first few years of life, she would exercise a temporal authority over this child. But one day, this child would exercise absolute authority over her. Listen, if we're going to do the work of God, give our energy to God's ministry, we're going to have to surrender our anxieties. Just go ahead and get over yourself. God can use you. Me? Yeah, you. If He can use me, He can use you. God can use you. Oh, He could never... Yeah, He could. Don't argue with God. He can. Surrender your anxieties. Surrender your activities. No halfway in. We need to be a 100% in. You don't have to. You can go out here completely unchanged, living the same halfway committed life that you've been living. Nobody can stop you. But if you want to see something change, you've got to get all in. You've got to get all in. Then we've got to surrender our autonomy if we want to see the work of God take place. She'd exercise authority for a little while, but eventually this Christ child would exercise absolute authority over her. And listen, when we get all in for the Lord Jesus Christ, part of what it means is giving up our autonomy, giving up the authority in our life, and saying, Lord, You have complete authority, sway, sovereignty, influence, and reign over my life. Can I ask you something? Has there been any area of your life that you built a little fence around and told God He can't have that? Any little area? Might be a relationship. Might be a decision or a commitment. Uh, it, it might be some area that you need to be doing more. It might be something you need to quit doing. But is there any area of your life that you've said, God, I'll give you everything but... And you built a little fence around it. Listen, the greatest thing you can do this Christmas season is tear down all those fences. Say, Lord, I'm yours completely. That's what Mary does. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. A handmaid was a servant. She was saying, Lord, you can tell me to do anything, and I'll do it. Be it unto me according to thy word. I'll give you one final thing, and I'll be done tonight. As we give ourselves to the Lord this Christmas season, we need to give our ears to God's message and our energies to God's ministry. But I think if we're really going to see God do something in our lives and the lives of others, we're going to have to be willing to give our expectations to God's miracles. Now, it's interesting. Mary asks a very, very reasonable question. Verse number 34. 
Things have been going along pretty smooth so far. The angel Gabriel's appeared. He's given this remarkable, stunning message. He's explained what's going to happen. She's casting about in her mind. But then she says, <coughs> excuse me, sir, there's a problem. Verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? That's pretty reasonable. First-year health student can tell you why that's a problem. And what she's saying is this, humanly speaking, this is an impossibility. Let me tell you something, the work of God is, humanly speaking, an impossibility. Have you ever thought, I'll just take soul winning as an example. Have you ever thought what a remarkable and audacious thing it is to try to win someone to Christ? You walk up on a person's doorstep that you've never met before. They have a framework and a belief system. They have a way that their world is constructed wherein, to some degree or another, it makes sense to them. And it doesn't include any knowledge of the true God. You knock on their door, introduce yourself, and say, let me presume to tell you now why everything you think is wrong. Let me tell you why, in fact, everything that you think is not only wrong, but you are, in fact, a sinner. You deserve to die and go to hell. If you don't change what you believe, when you die, you will certainly go to hell and be deserving of such. Now let me show you from the Word of God how you can avoid that fate. It's a remarkable thing to think that anybody should ever be saved. With men, these things might not be possible. But with God, all things are possible. The work of God is not human or a temporal ministration. It's not accomplished in the arm of the flesh. It can't be accomplished in the arm of the flesh. So much of church life today is done in the arm of the flesh. All churches. And we wonder why we're not seeing more get done. The fact of the matter is, instead of facing this problem of human impotence and incapability, we've tried to create a workaround and figure out some way that we can substitute human energy for divine ministry. There was a problem. Verse 35 says this, The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. She said, There's a problem. I can't do this. Nobody can do this. It's impossible. The angel said, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Oh, listen, I, and I, I don't even know. Let's all pretend it's five o'clock. Everybody on board for that? You ain't got nowhere to go anyway. <laughs> when you think about what the angel says here, here's the problem, Mary. Humanly speaking, it can't be done. The angel says, oh, humanly speaking, it can't, but divinely speaking, it can. And the, and the, the agent of empowerment is none other than who we call the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God. When He comes upon you, the power of the highest will overshadow you. It's not a secondary power. It's not a lesser power. It's not, it's not a minimized or, or diminutive or degraded power. It's the very power of the highest. The Spirit of God that indwells you and me, that's the power of the highest. That's the power whereby the worlds were created. 
Bible says the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep, gave this world a life-giving quality. Then the Word of God elicited that and brought forth life from it. That Holy Ghost that lives in you and me, that's the power of the highest. And when He moves upon us, then that holy thing that is in thee, what's that holy thing that is in thee? I know for Mary it was talking about the body of the Lord Jesus. But what's that holy thing that's in thee? That's the new man. When that happens, he'll be called the Son of God. Paul said it this way, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, listen now, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. What's it all about, this thing of serving God? It's about getting us out of the way so that Jesus can shine through. Like John said, I must decrease. He must increase. Paul said, the life which I I live by the faith, the Son of God, Christ lives in me. Inasmuch as I am crucified, the life of Christ is evidenced and is manifest and is allowed to burst forth in divine witness. As my aspirations are laid on the altar of sacrifice, and I dismiss and I buffet and I subdue the way I want to live life, and instead yield under the guidance of the Spirit of God, The Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ. And so, when we're exercising obedience unto Him, then it's not us that's living anymore. Are you with me? Are you getting it? Is 2 plus 2 equal and 4 for you right now? It's not us then. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Because we wouldn't have lived that way. We wouldn't have done that in our natural flesh. But we've crucified that. We're following the leading of the Spirit of God. And inasmuch as we do that, Christ shines through us. Christ said this, I'm the light of the world. Then he turned around a little later and he said, gee, you're the light of the world. (laughs) How is that? Because Christ is the light. But inasmuch as we yield to Him, we shine that light forth. And it's not us, it's Christ. When we do that, when the Holy Ghost, and we know the Holy Ghost indwells every believer perpetually, but when we yield to the leading and guidance of the Spirit of God, then the power of the highest... Is, is, is exercised through our obedience unto God, and then that holy thing that is within us, the new man, becomes more and more like Christ. Paul said it this way, uh, Yea, and doubtless, and I count all things but loss, all things but done, that I may win Christ, be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ. It's His righteousness being expressed through us as we submit to and follow the leading and guidance of the Spirit of God. There's a problem that Mary points out. But the angel says, yeah, that's a problem, but there's a process to deal with that. And that process in the life of the believer, that process in your life this Christmas season is to crucify self, to die daily, and to follow the leading of God's Spirit, thereby manifesting the life of Christ through us. I don't know how many miles I am away from my notes now. But I enjoyed the ride. There's a precedent for this, verse 36. He says, And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. 
The angel says, Mary, this ain't the first time God's done something miraculous. Elizabeth and the birth of John, it's not exactly like what He's doing in your life. And I found this to be true. There are certain things, certain universal realities and principles and truths to every believer. There, Listen, right is right in your life, and right is right in my life, and right in my life is going to look like right in your life. Right? Right? But in as much as we talk about the, the particular will of God for our lives and what God does through us, I recognize that what He's going to do in my life is not going to look like what He's going to do in your life. He's going to use you in ways different than He's using me. But there is a precedent. And the angel says, Mary, there's a precedent here. You ain't the first one that God has breathed life into. You're not the first one that has, is going to give birth by the power of God. Even your cousin Elizabeth, uh, she was barren, but now it's six months that she's been with child. And there's a principle at work here, and I'll say this and I'm done. Verse 37, For with God, nothing shall be impossible. What do you believe is possible this Christmas season? Do you believe it's possible that God would use you? Do you believe it's possible that God would win people to Christ through your testimony, through your witness? Do you believe it's possible God bring your loved ones back to Him? Do you believe it's possible God would bless your marriage and strengthen it? Do you believe it's possible that God would allow you to grow deeper in His Word? Do you believe it's possible that God would breathe life afresh and anew into your prayer life? See, with God, all things are possible. With men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Here's the question, though. Will we yield ourselves unto the Lord? If we'll do that, we'll find that God can do miracles as great and as wondrous in our life as He did in Mary's.